back over in Haggai one more time, <clears throat> I think, one more time. We got the uh, newsletter from the Conrads. Uh, we'll post it up over here. Uh, I ain't even read it yet. I don't know if I've got my email version yet or not. But anyway, um, we'll post this up and let you guys read over it sometime. Um, uh, most of y'all hopefully have heard by now that uh, Miss Bet Rouse passed away Thursday about 1 o'clock. Uh, that speaker's going. It's got a real bad rattle in it. Um, I have to turn that one down. It's this one right here, I think. <clears throat> I don't know. It's bad. <laughs> I have to come back here. Um, but Miss Betty, she passed away Thursday about 1 o'clock, and um, Greg has asked that the church, that we do a memorial service here this coming Saturday at 12 o'clock. Uh, I think I posted 11. That's what we had decided on, but then for some reason they've changed it to 12. So we'll be here at 12 for a short memorial service. I'm going to just, I'll, I'll speak a little bit, and we're going to have one singer, and then uh, the church will provide a, a meal for those that are here, whoever's here can stay and eat. So if you plan on being here for that. I talked to him a little bit yesterday evening, and um, he uh, his wife, Lori, is leaving today, going back to Georgia for, for the week. She has to work. Uh, so he's up there by himself, and it's going to be a, a uh, a long rough week for him up there by himself so if anybody uh, can check on him call him he he doesn't want any meals prepared but when I offered to bring him deer stew on Wednesday he said yes so I'm gonna take that up there but uh, just y'all have time and can just check on him uh, he's struggling right now pretty pretty bad all right if you got your Bibles over to uh, Haggai chapter 2 we're gonna be in the very last part very last part Last four verses. Um, I don't know if anybody else in the church got anything out of this or not. I have thoroughly enjoyed this study. For, uh, just me personally, I've enjoyed this study. Um, I was Keith was he touched all over it today, and I almost jumped on him about preaching the the message today. But uh, it, it's it's going to be a good one, and I, I want to I, I do want to uh, encourage you to continue to study out Haggai because there's a lot in this book that even though they're rebuilding the temple it's it, it falls right back onto us as well as Christians today we're, we need to be rebuilding and and fixing ourselves because we tend to get uh, down in ruins a lot of times in our lives so there's a lot of uh, a lot of encouragement there in the book of Haggai um, so I, I, does everybody know what a pessimist is the world's full of pessimists. You, besides Hunter, Hunter is like the poster child for pessimism there. But if you know what a pessimist is, if you don't know what it is, look over here. But a pessimist is always the person that just, just continues to find the bad in, in a problem. And, and Hunter's probably one of those that says, if you think it's bad now, wait till we get done. You know, it's <laughs> that kind of person. Um, but the world is full of them, and I was reading as I studying this week. I, I found this really is a is a funny little article about a, a paratrooper that was in training, and and his instructor said, "Now there's four things you got to do. It's a four step process once you you get up in the plane." He said, "Number one, first thing you got to do is you jump when the instructor says jump. Number two is you count ten seconds, and then pull your ripcord. Number three, if your ripcord, if your chute doesn't open, number three would be pull your secondary ripcord and for your backup chute. And number four 
It's when you hit the ground, get to the truck that's going to carry you away. So they get up and the plane hits the top or the height and then the paratrooper, they tell him to jump. So he jumps and he counts to 10 and he pulls his ripcord. The chute doesn't open. So like they said, his instructor said, pull the secondary. So he pulled the secondary ripcord. It didn't open. And the last thing he said was, well, if the first one didn't open, the second one didn't open, I guess the truck ain't going to be there when I hit the ground. <laughs> That's a pessimist. <laughs> he found the negative in it. But the world's full of them, and they can be, uh, I like to refer to them as Debbie Downers because they can absolutely wear you out with their negativity. I felt like it yesterday. I was watching Abby play ball down in Valdez, and that's, I was sitting there beside Mom, and I, I caught myself being negative during the entire game. I was getting so mad at the coach and, and everything that was going on over there. I was getting irritated, and I, I couldn't say Abby's doing a great job, or, or not just Abby, but the team was doing a great job. I was nitpicking the fire out of that game, and it didn't even count. It was just a jamboree. So anyway, we, there's a ton of people out there in this world, and there's plenty of times in our lives, if you think about it, even in our, own, in our church life, that nothing seems to go our way. You know, we, we seem to, to hit those times in our lives where just like everything is negative, negative, negative. Nothing is going the way that I plan on it to be. And, and we just we get uh, disappointed and we get down. And in, in those times, it's even, it's, it's even easy for an optimistic person to, to feel pessimistic sometimes. Um, but we have to remember, life has a way of, of beating us down. But we have to remember this, too. There's always good in, in all that takes place in our lives. And God told us that there would be good in there. There's going to be good. There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. Uh, you go into Ecclesiastes and you can read that. And, and uh, There's always going to be good and bad in our lives. We're not exempt from the bad stuff in our lives. But more and more, if you look in, at our lives, we give what we call churchy answers to and we always say that it's Satan. Satan is attacking us when things are going wrong. That's the churchy answer. It's just the devil. It's just the devil. Well, if you think about it, any more, Satan looks a lot like a bad job or a bad relationship or bad finances or just you know, a bad situation in general more than he looks like this little red man with a pitchfork and a pointed tail. That's how the devil looks anymore. Everywhere we turn, there he is. If you're uh, if you've ever been in a leadership position, you've you've seen pretty quick uh, that these positions come with their own uh, unique set of challenges. There's a lot of things that you don't see if you're not in leadership. And and I and I tell you what, in ministry, we got to keep a healthy outlook on on the view behind the scenes because it can easily get you down. And I, I remember whenever. Uh, we, we got Beach Valley and we was down there and, and we was preaching. I remember, it wasn't just a few months after we started down at Beach Valley. I remember calling Preacher Ray, my pastor, and I said, you didn't tell me <laughs> what takes place in the church because as a church member, you don't see the behind-the-scenes look. And you can ask the deacons, you can ask your trustees. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that can absolutely drag you down. It can wear you out sometimes and for just the, the church goer, you don't see this stuff, and, and it, can, it can wear you out. Your emotions range from highs from seeing spiritual growth to lows when it comes to all the grumbling that takes place. But through it all, through, no matter whether it's in your life, your church life, your family life, whatever it is, through it all, we've got to remember one thing. 
You have to remember this. God is in control. No matter what goes on in your life, God is in control. If you got your Bibles open, let's go to Haggai chapter 2, verse 20, and we're going to finish up. You can stand with me just a minute. Verse 20 says, in it, And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the fourth and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of, the, of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathens, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride it in them. And the horses and the riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, this morning uh, we do want to thank you for uh, this month, this study that we've had in the book of Haggai. Lord, we thank you for your prophet. We thank you for um, where you uh, used him, Lord, as a, as a vessel to speak to your people, your chosen people. Uh, Father, it's such an honor to be able to go back and, and find encouragement through your word that was spoken through your man. And Lord, I pray today as, uh, as we go into the service, Father, that you would just uh, pour out a blessing on each person here. Lord, just uh, pour out your Holy Spirit so we can receive uh, the words that are going to be spoken. Father, we do want to lift up those that are, are sick that we know of. Father, I pray you'd have a touch there. We pray that you would continue to be with the Rouse family. Uh, through the passing of Miss Betty, Lord, I pray that you would encourage and uplift uh, Greg and Lori at this time. Uh, Lord, they need you now probably more than ever. God, again, we thank you for all that you're doing and all you're going to do. All in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So we'll look at three things this morning uh, out, of, out of this last little book of Haggai. And the first thing we'll look at is, is just that God is in control. He is in complete, absolute control of every thing that is going on in our lives, in your personal life, in your church life, in your work life, in your school life, in any part of your life, God is in control. Whether you know it or not, He is in complete control of your life. Now, how much of your life are you in control of? Think about how much you're in control of. Very, very Yeah, there's zero that you're in control of, but you try, don't you? You try to control. What do you try to do? I try to eat. Well, I don't do it. I'm lying to you. Most people try to eat eat healthy. I, think, I mean, just think about it. We try to eat healthy. We try to, to do our exercises daily. Some people do. I don't. But you don't control the number of your days. You can try to control what you eat. You can try to control your exercise. But by controlling those things, you don't control your numbers, the number of your days. God controls that. In the very end, it's in his power. Our days are, are numbered. We know that. He knows exactly the day that we're going to go. You can live a healthy lifestyle. You can see your doctor regularly, but you can't always prevent that illness and that sickness to come into your life. God is in control. He is the one that gives us the health that we need to make it, but he is also one that will allow that illness or that sickness to come into your life sometimes. What does it normally do to you? It makes you stronger. When you go through something like that, typically we come out on the other side a stronger person, not stronger physically, but spiritually, especially when you get to see God work in your life and work a miracle in your life, you get to see great works. How many people who have, in their own power, kept cancer away or prevented some kind of sickness? None of us, because you ain't going to. 
You can't. God can. You can't. You can try. Try the best you can, but you can't stop it. We cling to our jobs, don't we, for, so that they would provide security for us and our family, so that they can secure a financial security. They are going to provide for us. We're going to work this job, and we're going to make this amount of money, and they're going to give us health care, health insurance, and they're going to give us a retirement, and we, we depend on that. We expect that security in that job, we think. But anyone who's ever lost their job can tell you that that loss of control that is felt at that very moment, it's unreal. I've heard Jerry talk about it. I can't stand to hear you talk about it. Jerry, it breaks my heart when you talk about losing your job. But I find encouragement in what happened after he lost his job. It's a lot, It's not in your control. That is completely God's control. He has complete control of our lives. There's a lot of life that you can't and will not control, no matter how hard you try, out of, you can be sure that God is in absolute control. Now, I want you to look at four, thing, four verses that we just read. It, it, six times in these verses, God shows he's in control. He says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. He said, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. He said, I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and the horses. And he said, I will take thee. And then he said, I will make thee a signet. I will. God's saying I will. That means God is in complete control of what's going on in our lives and in what we're talking about here with Zerubbabel. He is in complete control. There's a promise made right here six times, four verses, six times by one sovereign God. He is in control. He's got it under control. This promise made by him, he's saying, I will, I'm paraphrasing right here, I will without a doubt, you can take it to the bank, write it down, whatever you want to do, date it. I will do this and I will do that because God said, I am in control. And we lose, we lose that sometimes. We lose the, the thought and the idea of God is in control. We, because in our own power, we're trying to take control of the situation. What happens when we try to take control of it? We make it worse. Every time we think we're in control, we make it worse. When we grab a hold of the reins, we're making it worse. God said, let me have it. I'll take control of this, and I'll fix this for you. So why did Zerubbabel need to hear that God was in complete control? I mean, we've been reading here for the past month about, or out of Haggai, and Zerubbabel, and we've been talking about all that's going on with this rebuild. Why did Zerubbabel need to hear that God was in control. Well, it happens to a lot of people because when things got so bad in Israel, the weak of faith doubted God. When we, get, when we start doubting God, when we get weak and are spiritually weak, we start doubting God's existence. We stop doubting God's in control. We stop doubting that he has healing power. We start doubting that he loves us. We start thinking that he might want to disown us. That's what we start thinking. O ye of little faith, that's how we are. And then we start to doubt. So Zerubbabel needed to hear that he was in control. Zerubbabel needed to hear that God was still on the throne. Zerubbabel still needed to hear that God still loved him. And he still loved his chosen people. He needed to hear that. We need to hear that sometimes, don't we? We need to hear, as Christians, we need to hear God still loves you. How many times, whenever, as an adult, when you hear a kid sing, Jesus loves me, how many times does it make you smile? Every time. I can't think of one time I've ever frowned when I've heard a young and sing, Jesus loves me. 
It's not because the young is saying it. It's a reminder to each one of us that, you know, he still does. I ain't thought about that in a while. He still loves me because he does. We need that reminder in our lives. We need that encouragement in our lives, knowing that God is still in control. God is still on the throne. God still loves me. God is still going to help me along. God's still going to guide me and lead me and do all that God said he would do. But every now and then, we just need that reminder, like as Rubel needed. God says, you know, it was bad yesterday. God said, you know, it, it's, it's bad today, and it's probably going to get bad tomorrow. But you need to understand that I'm still with you. What you need to remember is I'm not going to leave you. What you need to understand is I'm in charge right now and will always be in charge. Don't ever forget that. Again, that's God. I'm paraphrasing God there. The people could not control whether or not it, it rained. They couldn't control whether or not their crops would produce. We can't either. I can't control the weather. I don't think anybody can control this weather right now. Nobody controls the weather. It's spring. Keith's talking about spring hog. I've called Conley a couple times this week, and every time I call him, he's out of breath in the greenhouse. He's getting ready for the spring. He's getting ready for what's getting ready to take place. They're getting ready to get busy. Do you control what goes on in that greenhouse? You can clean it up, and you can pot, and you can do all that you know how to do. But there's no guarantee and no promise that whatever they do in that greenhouse, that anything is going to produce. Every one of those seeds, every one of those bulbs may dry up, wither away. They may not have a thing because God's in control. They're not in control. I hope everything goes well. I'm not putting that off on you. I hope it's a great year. But God is in control of that. And these, these people said, or what we're reading here, they can't control that rain. They can't control how their crops grow. They can't control the bugs and all that stuff that might end up eating up their crops. They could not control many things, if any things, at that time in their lives, but they could control one thing, and we can do the same thing. There's one thing that we can control, and it's how we respond to God. Amen. They can control that. We can control that. How are you going to respond to God? How are you going to act? How, whenever he calls you to do something or whenever, he's in, uh, whenever he shows up in your life, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to accept his will? and go with it, or are you going to reject it and do your own thing? How are you going to respond? How are they going to respond to this? Sometimes bad things happen because we invite it in. We let it in. Sometimes we bring that junk home with us. We let it in. That's sin. That's what we do. We let sin into our lives. When we let sin into our lives, bad things tend to happen. No good's ever come out of sin. Ask Adam and Eve. No good has ever come out of that. Think about it. No matter why we go through trying times that are beyond our control, the one thing that we do control is how we, we respond to God, how we accept it or reject it. So we do have an option there. We can respond by saying, yep, you're in control, or nope, God, I got this one. I don't need you no more. But he's still going to be there. We can blame God, attack God, accuse God, abuse him, whatever you want to. Or we can just trust him and believe that he is sovereign and he is God and he is in complete control. God is in control. That's the response that each one of us need to give when things in our lives are wearing us out. God is in control.
and I'm going to try to, and I'm going to try to answer. Keith kept asking the same question this morning in Sunday school, so I'm going to try to help him answer that question. Think about these westerns that we used to watch, and they don't make them anymore, at least any good ones anymore. But you go back to Bonanza and, and Marshall Dillon and some of the good stuff that used to be on TV. And you would watch them, and they get in their their little their little buggies. You know, these people get in their buggies, the little horse-drawn buggies, and there's a, you know, they had the little guy up on top there with the reins, and he was in control of that buggy and them horses. Well, what if they're going down the road and it gets really, really bumpy? What if the people in that buggy try to reach through the wind and take the reins from the guy that was driving? What would happen? It would get worse. Why did the man on top of the buggy have the reins? Because he could see everything. He could look around and he could see everything. If somebody tried to take the reins from him and tried to steer that thing through the buggy without seeing what was going on, they'd crash. That's why God's in control, because God can see everything. God sits upon high at his throne with the reins in his hand. He can see everything that's going on right now. That's why there was no iceberg in the ocean whenever Noah was floating down through there with the ark because God could see ahead. God could see, because Keith was asking, why wasn't there a boulder out there that the ark would run into and sink it? Why, if God was so disappointed in his people, why didn't he just sink that boat and start all over? Because he had the reins, and he could see the future. He could see what was going on. He could see the, the lineage that was going to take place from Noah and the other seven, and the future. He could see David, he could see Daniel, he could see uh, Jesus, and he could see the disciples. He could see us because he has the reins, and he still has the reins. I'm not one to want to reach through that wind and grab a hold of somebody else's reins if I can't see where I'm going. I rode horses. I know how finicky them things are. I ain't trying to, if I can't see where I'm going, I don't trust that horse. I don't know where he's going. I know where my horse would go, and it's always back to the barn. I don't want to go back to the barn. I ain't done yet. Let God have control of it. Let God keep his reins and keep you where he wants you to go. Number two, God keeps his promises. So we know he's in control. But number two, we've got to remember, he keeps promises. He's the greatest promise keeper that's ever been, ever been and ever will be because he's never broke one. If you're sitting here today and you've never broke a promise, I'd like to shake your hand. Because we can't do it. We can't do it. I, when we, uh, a couple weeks ago, when we took the girls, took the, the foster girls uh, for respite, uh, down the, we had to meet them in Winston. It was tough for Cammy. I had to make Cammy a promise. I mean, I had to make a promise. I'd done promised her that if she was good all week, she'd get to go check play on Friday night. Or chicken fillet. That's what she kept calling it was chicken fillet. But I said, You're good all week. No, you don't get in timeout. We're good. we're gonna go chick play. And I had to make her a pinky promise. Which was great. I'm glad we got to have that conversation because that Friday night when we took him to Winston, she wasn't going. She when when we got to where's we at? Dick's Sporting Goods where we met him. She was I had to make her a pinky promise that I would come back and get her. She was afraid that we were giving them over to somebody else and that we wasn't coming back. I had to make a pinky promise with her. I wasn't breaking that pinky promise. I, there's a lot of promises I broke in my life, but right there's one I'd never break. I wasn't going to let that little girl down that we wouldn't come back to get her. 
God has spoken a lot in his word right here. From end to amen, this thing is absolute, chock full of promises that he has made his people, that he has promised and he has stuck with, and he has delivered time and time and time again, and he ain't done with these promises. The promises God makes in, in these verses get, take us all the way back to verse uh, 6. I'm going to read it real quick. Verse 6 through 9 says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this later, later, later house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. It may have sounded crazy to these people when God said the temple would eclipse the glory of Solomon's temple because they had seen it. They seen it. They knew it was a great thing. This group of people who could remember the glory from all that they could see uh, so far, this one felt short. This one fell way, way short of what they were used to seeing. So they were, again, discouraged. They didn't believe what God said about it being glorious and greater than Solomon's temple ever was. Because it ain't looking like it now. It's just, a, it's just a pile of rocks and some ruins. You've done a good job weed eating, but the block ain't laid up yet. We need you to come in here and finish this up to really sell us on it. The only reason it seemed so far-fetched was because they were nearsighted. They didn't have a view of the future. We go into our spiritual lives a lot of times with nearsighted vision. We, we only see what's right here in front of us. We can't see what's out there. That vision casting I was talking about, I think, last Sunday. We can't, see the, we can't see out there. We can't see what God has in store for us. We only see what's right here in front of us right now today. Well, maybe tomorrow's going to be a lot better. We need to be looking. We need to be more optimistic and start looking on forward and, and towards the mark and be a little bit more encouraged. These people were just nearsighted. They, they, all they could, they were thinking about the future and what it used to look like, but they couldn't. They didn't just didn't have an imagination. They couldn't see what God was actually talking about at that time. Now God wasn't talking about the temple that they were building, though. So, and and I, I, I don't want anybody to get confused because we're actually getting into prophecy right now. When we get into telling Haggai, we're, we're talking prophecy. He's not saying the temple that they're rebuilding right now. What he's talking about is what's yet to come. He's talking about when Jesus sets up his kingdom here on earth. So what they were building right, right now, or right then, still wasn't going to be anything compared to what Jesus has in store for us in the future, later on. We're all going to get to enjoy. God had made some promises here, but the, the promise to have have to do with uh, what the promise that he's, have, what he's talking about has to do with the future not them finishing up this temple. So we, we need to have that kind of vision. We need to have that. We don't know what that kingdom is going to look like when he gets it set up here on earth. But we need to start thinking about that. Because it, it's going to be grand. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be one of the most magnificent, it will be the most magnificent thing that we've ever seen in our whole life when he sets up here on earth and, and, and rules and the, just the splendor of this thing. We can't wrap our minds around it, but I'm starting to think about it a little bit now. 
a lot more than they ever have. How glory, how great this thing's going to look like. Now I want to lump all these statements in the in the two that we just talked about here in, in verse 20, 20 through 23. I'm going to uh, lump them all together into two promises right here. So we know that God promised a flood and it happened. We, we, we know that. Noah came through, took the people, took his family with him, two by two on the boat with the animals. Flood happened. He cleaned the earth up, started all over. We know that. We know that God made a promise for a land flowing full of milk and honey. Amen. He did it. He did it. Now, it's going to happen again when we get to heaven. But for now, he made the promise and he fulfilled it. It happened. God promised a Savior, didn't he? And it happened. Another one, he, did not, he didn't fall short on that promise. Over and over again, God made promises in the Bible that he fulfilled. So, the promise he made to Zerubbabel right here, will, it will be no different. It, again, it's prophecy. We're looking at the future. In God's, if God promised to shake the heavens and the earth, he's going to do that during the tribulation. There's going to be a great shaking. There's going to be a great rumbling take place here on, in the heavens and the earth, but that's through the tribulation. When God promised to overthrow the throne that we just read about over in verse 6, uh, the throne of the kingdoms, Jesus is going to do that when he smites the nations. Again, prophecy. We're talking about Jesus now in the Old Testament. God promised to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and to overthrow the chariots and the horses and the riders. When Jesus returns and smites the nations, when he comes through, then he, one swoop, one word. When he, I don't know if he has to say a word. When he opens his mouth, they're gone. He's going to wipe them clean. That's Jesus. That's in Revelation. When Jesus returns and smites the nations and rules over them with that, that rod of iron, when he returns and he treads on that wine press of the fierceness that, that we read about in Revelation and talks about the wrath of the Almighty God, when he comes back, then there won't be any doubt in the world who is in control. Nobody will ever doubt. Believers or non-believers, nobody's going to doubt who is in complete control. And that's God. We know that. Now listen to me. God keeps his promises. He's never, he's never lost one it, or, or broke one, sorry. If you've got, do me a favor. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. I want everybody to turn over there real fast. Last chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews 13. And when you get it, I want you to stand up real fast. Hebrews chapter 13, it does exist. And then stand up. It's a race. Did you find it? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And you're going to read this out loud with me. Here we go. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have for he saith, he hath said, sorry, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You just read a promise from God. Read it one more time. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is a promise from God. You can have a seat. He's not going to break that promise to you. He will not break that. When he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, he will not break that promise. I'd love to be able to stand right here and y'all walk by and shake my hand and I tell you I'd never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
but I can't do that. Because at some point, I'm going to let you down. I'm going to disappoint you. That's just human nature. That's how we are. But God himself made us a promise. Many promises. One of my favorite promises is the rainbow promise. When he said that he'd never do that again. He'd never flood the earth. He'd never wipe them clean again. What a promise. And he'll never do it. He will never do that again. But my second favorite promise in the Bible is right there. When he said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. And he's never done it. I look back in my life and I see where I feel like I'm rock bottom and I got nowhere to go. And there's his presence. There's that Holy Spirit in me. And he's saying, it's okay. I'm still here. I ain't leaving you. I ain't going to forsake you. What a feeling it is to know that there's still someone loves me that much there's a father in heaven right now that loves me that much that he will stick by my side and never turn his back on me he will never turn his back on me that's encouraging that's encouraging now I want to go. I want to look at that signet real fast, and then we're going, we're going to move on. If God said that He's going to set up His kingdom here on earth, then there's nothing that nobody, not even Satan, can do to stop Him. He's going to set that kingdom up on earth. He's made us a promise that it's going to happen, and we watch through the prophecy through the Bible where He, where He, they prophesied about the coming Messiah. And, and all that took place with that, and it was spot on perfect and didn't miss a beat. But then there's that prophecy in there from Daniel, and we look at what um, John wrote in Revelation. It, it's not that it, it's a lie. It just ain't happened yet. But it will happen eventually. And there's nobody that can stop it, not even the devil himself Amen. can stop what God is getting ready to do here on earth. Now, that's the first set of promises that have to do with Jesus establishing the kingdom. The second has to do with God keeping his promise to David. Again, a man after his own heart. David. Now, when David was king of Israel, God made a promise to him that the throne would never depart from that family. And you go back into Matthew and Luke, and you look at the lineage uh, of Jesus, and you're going to see that Zerubbabel is the great, 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 great grandson of King David. And is mentioned, again, in both genealogies of Jesus. I didn't take the time to count how many greats that he is, but he is a descendant. Zerubbabel is a descendant. Now, when God said to Zerubbabel that he had chosen him and would make him a signet, he was saying that, that he had God's word, that he would rule the people. At some point, he would rule the people and be close to the heart of God. Now, that, that may not sound like a big deal to a lot of people, but... Just a few years earlier, listen to what God said to Zerubbabel's grandpa. In Jeremiah twenty two twenty four. he said, As I live, saith the Lord, though Kana were the signet ring upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence. Now this signet ring was, it was precious to the kings. The signet ring that they wore, usually on the right hand, was what that they would use. It, had a, it, had, it was like a stamp. 
and they would use that to seal documents, and they never took it off. They either wore it on their finger or they wore it on a chain around their neck, and they never would take it off unless one of the royal people, you know, higher-ups needed to stamp some paperwork. But he always kept it, and it was very, uh, uh, it was very special to them. Um, um, I can't remember. It's somewhere over in... I can't remember where I was at in, in, in Israel, but they, they have Isaiah's signet ring. It still exists. They have it now. And I thought, man, that's, that's one of the coolest things. It's Isaiah's signet ring. Um, but they never took that ring off. The king wore it all the time. And when God said that he was plucking Zerubbabel's grandfather then, he meant that he was disowning his grandfather, Zerubbabel's grandfather. Now, we're not talking about David. We're talking about Zerubbabel's grandfather. Disown him. But he's also saying that he was going to make Zerubbabel as a signet because he had chosen him. So he was going to keep him close. That's what I want to be. I want to be one of God's signets. I want to be something that, that he would never take off, never remove. And, and I guess we are, as children of, of the king. We are as close to him as we're ever going to be. And he's not going to disown us. He's not going to take us off. He's not going to put us aside whenever he starts to fill up. We're always his. We're always there with him. He's not going to remove us. Now, had God chosen Zerubbabel? I believe he did, but that's really not what this statement right here, what we're reading, that's not really what it's about. It's about who Zerubbabel represented, and that's the one, that's God, or Jesus, who would later occupy David's throne. Over in Revelation 19, 16, it said, will have on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's talking about David, and I believe that. I truly believe that. We're... Uh, we don't go into Haggai when we talk about prophecy much, but there's a lot of it there about Jesus that we need to be reading on. The third and last thing, and I'm going to be done with this, God is for his people. God is for his people. And this goes back, too, to, to what Keith was talking about earlier in Sunday school. Um, God's in control. God sits on high. He sees everything, knows everything. He is. He has the reins, but God is always going to be for his people. Those of us that have chosen to accept him, he is always going to be there to, to protect us and be with us. And I, I want you to hear, hear this as plainly as possible this morning. God is for you. God is for you. He is with you. He is by your side. We talk about it all the time. God is for you you because we're his we're his children he we, he is he is our father he is helping us the best that he can right now with what he has to work with because sometimes we're a mess but he's still there with us he is with us he is he is by our side i, I think there are too many people who have trouble believing that sometimes i think a lot of people don't think that's true that he is for us he's with us god loves you He's for you. He loves you with all his heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a love. Amen. That's a that's agape love. That's a kind of love that we can't comprehend. It's huge. It's a God-sized love. But he loves us that much. How do I know God is for his people in the book of Haggai? I want you to look at something. If he didn't love his people... If God didn't love his people in Haggai, he would have never sent a prophet. God could have smote them right there, wiped them clean, got them off the earth, just get rid of them. 
Those were his people. Those were his chosen people. God takes care of his people. God takes care of you. All through the book, all through the Bible, you see where God takes care of people. He didn't just kill them off like you'd think he would. When, when they put down their hose and went home and forgot about, forgot about God, he didn't, he didn't kill them. He sent somebody to speak to them. He disciplined them. He disciplined them. Ain't that what parents do? When your youngins act up, when they're not listening to you, what do we do? We discipline. Well, God's our father. We're his children. Those were his children. Those are his chosen ones. So he just disciplined them. He didn't kill them off. He just disciplined. That's what the Bible says God does when he loves us. He didn't discipline. If he didn't discipline them, it, it, it was because they didn't belong to him. If he didn't discipline him, they wasn't his. We get disciplined every now and then. I know God loved him because he said that he wanted to bless Israel. Sometimes I think that, that we look around us and wonder, is God on our side? Is God truly on my side? Yes, he is because we're his. We're his. So God's going to love on us and he's going to protect us and he's going to guide us just like he promised he always would because we are his. God is good to us beyond all measure. He is always good to us. And I'm, I'm going to close with this right here. And, and we're going we're to go. The book Haggai has shown that the, the question we need to ask this morning is not whether God is on our side, but if we have made up our mind to be on God's side. As for me and my house, who have you cho- chose to, to serve? Whose side are you on this morning? If you've got nothing else out of the book of Haggai this, this past month, I hope it's to see that God is on our side. We are his people. But we have to make a choice whether or not we want to be on his side or not. It's, it's something that you have. It's a personal decision that you have to make. Whose side do you want to be on? God's side or the other side? And that, to me, that's a, that's a very important choice we all need to be thinking about. Will you choose to attend to the things of God and will you let it let him clean up your heart, clean up your hands? Remember my old poopy hands I had last week? Yeah, yeah, some of y'all missed that. I shoveled manure last week and Conley wouldn't touch my hand. Will you allow God to clean up your old poopy hands and your old dirty heart? And then use you? You got you gotta you gotta make a decision. What do you want God to do for you? What are you going to do for God? Will you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Or just a little bit? I, I, know, what, I know what Mark wrote. And he said we got to love him with all we got in us. Not just a dab. Not just a little bit. We're his and he's ours. We've got to love him as much as we can because he loves us. A hundred percent. I don't know what's going on this morning in, in somebody's life. I'm sure there's, there's some struggles going on. I, I know we've all got our battles here and there. And, uh, but there may just be somebody this morning that's got some pretty rough things going on in their life, and they just need, to, they just need confirmation that God is in control. So I'm going to confirm it for you right now. 
God is in control. You can take her to the bank. He is in control. Whatever's going on in your life, I don't know what it might be. God's got it. Let him have it. He's sitting on top of that buggy right now, and he's keeping you from going over them rock cliffs. I've seen those westerns. He's in control. Stand with me. We're going to close out.